Many of you know who I am. Um, but for those of you who don't know me, I brought some stuff, some stuff from home. Uh, just to kind of let you get to know me a little better. I read one time in the New York Post, and I think we have this quote that's going to go up. Um, this is, I found this really interesting. It said, America, it's a nation of hoarders. Hmm. As one in two adults admit they have a problem with clutter, from clothes that are no longer worn to outdated electronics and other useless junk, it's reported that the average American is currently hoarding 23 items in their home that they have absolutely no use for. Well, they haven't looked in my closet because I have way more than 23 items that I have no use for. But I do some have some other things in my home that I have absolutely no use for and that I can't get rid of it. How many of you guys would say you're hoarders? Pack rats, anyone? Like, just can't get rid of anything? Okay. So, these are just a few of the things that I grabbed in my house that I have no use for. I don't use them anymore, but... Well, that's... Okay, let me explain. I'm looking for the most important, the funniest one, and... Oh, here it is. Okay. So... This first one, I have no use for it, none. It's a little pink pacifier, and it sits in a drawer. I pull it out every once in a while when I speak, and I don't know, I just look at it every once in a while. This is Sam's, my son, yes, my son. It's his very last pacifier. So there's a story behind these pacifiers. This was the only kind that he would take. And I don't even remember, I don't know, something from Walmart. It was the only kind that he would ever take. So I go to Walmart one weekend to replace it because they lose them all the time. And I can't find any. I didn't think much about it. I went back the next week. I couldn't find any. I called my mom, who lives in Indiana. Mom, next time you're at Walmart, would you go see if you can find Sam's pacifier? She can't find them. I call my mother-in-law, I call my sister. Like, I'm having everyone look, and no one can find them. So I call the company, and they said, you know, we discontinued them, but we have a warehouse full of pacifiers for moms like you who need them. So they sent me, like, a case of them. I had, like, 80-some pacifiers. We used all the green ones, and then we used all the blue ones, and then we used all the purple ones, and then we got down to the last pink ones. And so the very end of the pacifier days, they were pink. And those were the days where he could only sit in his bed and he couldn't come out of his room. But the pink pacifier, that was the last one. I've got shoes. These are shoes that my girls wore. Obviously, no one could fit in them. I could have given them to my niece, but I just can't. They're just little shoes, my girls, ooh, that they wore. Um, oh, Lucy, this is what she wore on her first birthday. Isn't that cute? Oh, I know. She's so cute. It's my daughter, Lucy. She wore that. Um, oh, I have a file folder chucked full of notes. These are notes from students and former parents and just notes that I've kept uh, that, like, they're not serving really any purpose except for to encourage me every once in a while, but a file folder. And then my 
Bible from, I got this Bible when I graduated from high school from my aunt. And um, yeah, I went through two other Bibles since then, but I can't get rid of this one. It's got, I mean, it's got stuff written all in it. It's got, oh, just a second, I found something. Oh, it's got pictures of my grandpa. That's when he was in the Navy. So it's got pictures in it, and I don't know. So it's just stuff that I can't get rid of. So why is it that we have such an easy time letting go of some things? You know, you ask me on a Saturday when I get in the whim, I can fill up eight bags and chuck them out the door really quick, no problem. So why is it that some things we can let go of and other things we hold on to so tight? For me, because of those things, it's because the, the memories that are attached to all those and the feelings that come up when I look at them. Some of those feelings are sad that my babies aren't babies anymore. Some of those feelings are Excitement that my babies aren't babies anymore. It's, it goes hand in hand. Um, some of them are feelings of just complete and total gratitude that people took time to, to write me a note, to say thank you, to show their appreciation. All evoke emotions. They all evoke feelings. And for me, I think that those strong feelings that come up are the exact same reason why we have a hard time letting go of some of the emotional stuff that's in our lives as well. Tonight in our time together, I want to take a look at John 8, 2 through 11. So if you have your Bibles here with you, go ahead and open it up. If you have your I guess we're not supposed to be using our devices, so hopefully you have your Bibles. Um, but it'll be up on the screen if you don't. John 8, 2 through 11 is what I'm going to be reading. And I'm going to find it too. Now, I have to tell you that this is not in, this is one of those scriptures that if you notice in some of your um, Bibles, it's italicized. The reason why is because it's not in all manuscripts. In some of the earlier manuscripts, it's found, but in some of them, it's not. So that's the reason why it's italicized. But if you ask me, um, if it's in the Bible, I still think it's important. So, here we go. John 8, 2 through 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? There are different manuscripts. There are different people who have wrote and suspected different things. Some people believe that she um, 
didn't have an affair at all or commit adultery, but the teachers of the law were just trying to trap Jesus. Um, there was more of trying to trick him and to trap him. And verse 6 says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a, a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Some people actually believe that he was writing their sins. And he was writing down everyone's sin in the room. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. When I read that passage, I often find myself acting, that's it? Like, what happened next? Did she, did she leave her life of sin? Did she obey? Did she, did she let go so that she could completely follow Christ? How does her story end? And unfortunately, it's something that we'll never know. But what we do know is that she had just had an encounter with Jesus, her Savior, who not only didn't judge her, but offered her forgiveness and direction as well. You know, when I think about what it must have felt like to have been standing there, waiting, watching Jesus, and then walking away from it all, for me, I can only imagine everything that she had to be feeling and all the thoughts that had to be running through her head. I can only imagine that she was fear filled with shock, awe, wonder, probably absolute amazement that Jesus didn't judge her. Um, no judging no condemning. And then I also have to think that she was probably feared, filled with a lot of fear and probably a lot of shame. Her sin had just been completely exposed to everyone. There's no more hiding behind closed doors. Everyone knew. And so she had to be filled with an abundant amount of shame and fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, a fear of what was going to happen next, fear of what her husband was going to say, or if she wasn't married, fear if she ever would be able to be married. Um, maybe fear of the decisions that she was going to have to make if she chose to walk away and let go of her sin. Maybe fear of letting go of a lifestyle that she was really used to. Maybe fear of walking away from someone that she really did love. 
fear of change, fear of letting go. For this woman choosing to obey Jesus and let go and leave her life of sin was not going to be an easy choice. And let's be honest, if sin was easy to walk away from, no one would sin. It'd be easy. No, we wouldn't have to struggle with it. We struggle with sin because most of the time it's fun. Like, we just fun. It's what we're used to. We enjoy it. Satan's not dumb. That's how he tricks us. That's how he tempts us. He makes it desirable. And so for this woman, it wasn't going to be an easy choice to walk away from. Sometimes when we are asked to walk away from sin, it means breaking a habit that's become our norm. Sometimes it means breaking a habit or leaving something that we draw our identity from. It's become who we are. Sometimes letting go of sin um, means walking away from people that have become a part of our circle. They've become a part of our, they're, they're our friends. And walking away from them, it's not easy. But what it always means is change. Letting go and walking away from sin means change. And change, change is really hard. No one likes change. It's hard. Change is hard. When I reflect back over my own uh, personal life, there are two areas that I personally struggle to let go of. And that is anger and unforgiveness. I finally come to a place in my life where I've released them over into God's hands and I've, and I've let him take over and I've um, given it over to him. But um, there are many years of my life that I carried them around with me. And if I'm honest, there are still times that they creep back up and I have to wrestle, and I mean literally wrestle them back out of my heart and give them over to God. When I was uh, three years old, just a little thing, I was three years old, um, my parents opened up our home to a boy who was in the foster care system. My dad is a pastor. He was, and he still is, a pastor. Uh, I actually just called him a couple weeks ago as I was preparing for this, and I was like, okay, this is not a call from your daughter. I mean, he picked up the phone. He's like, hey, PJ, what's up? And I was like, okay, this isn't like, daddy, I'm calling my daddy. I need to talk to my pastor because you are still my pastor and always will be. And he was like, okay, I will put my pastor hat on. So I was just asking him some things. So he's a pastor, and he still is in Indiana. They live in Indiana. And he was friends, actually, with the social worker of this boy. And so what looked like a beautiful blessing for this boy, being able to come and, and live with, be a part of my family, uh, turned into my living nightmare. For the next seven years of my life, um, I was sexually abused, and I was told every time it happened that he would kill my parents if I told anyone. And I believed it. I believed that lie until I was 17 years old. I didn't tell a soul until I was 17 years old. 
And so what happened was I ended up living this very different life on the outside than what I was really feeling on the inside. Two completely different things. On the outside, I looked like the girl who had it all together. Um, you know, like I said, my dad was a pastor, and um, I had great parents. I still have wonderful parents who love me and support me and encourage me. Um, I was really involved in, um, in church. I was really involved in our school. Um, I, I made really good choices with the girls that I hung out with all through junior high and high school. Um, I, you know, they say I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't go, do, go with boys to do, like, didn't do any of those. I was, I was a people pleaser. I mean, I was a good kid. I'm a people pleaser just by nature. So to any bystander who would see me, I looked like the girl who had it all together. Like, she, that's a girl who has her entire act together. And the reality was that I was a very broken, hurt, confused, petrified little girl who felt broken, who felt dirty, who felt unlovable, who felt used, who felt like it was her job to protect her parents. And so, believing all those, um, unfortunately, caused me to have a very low self-worth of myself through high school and college. And because of that, I made some very poor choices in um, who I dated. Ladies, you're worth it. I think the biggest thing that I can tell, say to a young lady is you are worth the absolute best. And gentlemen, the same thing goes for you. You are worth, you are worth it. Do not settle. Don't settle. I ended up marrying a man in college who, um, made me feel the exact same way that my foster brother made me feel. Scared, broken, confused, hurt. And God ended up rescuing me from that extremely abusive marriage after five years. But what left was this shell of a very angry woman. I was irate. I was mad. I, I was angry. I was seething angry. I remember telling someone sometime, I feel like I am a volcano and that everything inside of me is just ready to erupt. It is just bubbling and waiting to explode. The whole saying, like, I feel like my head's going to explode and pop off, that's how I felt every single day. I don't know how many dishes I broke. I actually would buy, <laughs> I cannot believe I used to do this, but I would. I would go to mm, your local thrift store and I, or um, garage sales, 
And I would buy just glass so that I could break it. Anything that I could do to just break things. I, I became an avid runner during the time. Not in a healthy way. Um, but I would run so angry. I would run five miles every night at least. So angry. Just running to get it out. So here I was, this very seethingly angry woman. I remember my dad asked me one day, he said, Patty, do you think you'll ever get married again? And I looked at him like he was nuts. And I said, are you serious? You, you serious? He was like, well, I just, I don't know. I wondered. And I said, dad, I hate men. I hate men. And he was like, he pointed to himself. He goes, I'm a man. And I was like, you're different. You're my dad. You're my daddy. I hate men. I'll never get married again. And so there I was, this seething, angry woman. And I had some choices to make. So here's the choices. I, could think. I knew that my anger was what had kept me alive all those years. My anger had become the source of my strength. It was what kept me putting one foot in front of the other. It, is, it was the reason why I continued to fight. It was the only reason. It was because of my anger. And so, I could carry it around with me for the rest of my life. And I could listen to the lies that Satan continued to fill my head with because I carried this anger around. Or, I could let go of it. I could release it into God's hands and let him take over my thoughts of myself. The biggest one is my thoughts of other people. Um, Let him be the source of my strength. Let him be the reason why I daily put one foot in front of the other. Let his peace and joy fill me. But in order to do this, I knew that I was going to have to forgive. And for me, this is where the internal struggle, this is where it began. I was ready. I was ready to let go of the anger. I was tired. I was exhausted. Um, I was ready to let go. I wanted to let go of the anger. The unforgiveness was something completely different. I didn't want to let go of it. I didn't want to forgive these two men. For me, they didn't deserve it. There's two men in my life who felt no remorse, who never apologized, who never looked at me and said, I am so sorry for all the pain I have caused you. And so in my eyes, they didn't deserve it, and I didn't want to do it. And then God led me to Isaiah 53, 3-5, which says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in lowest esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. You see, God's death on the cross, not fair. The two criminals that were hanging beside him, they deserved, they deserved it. Christ, he didn't deserve any of it. He didn't deserve the trials. He didn't deserve the beatings. He didn't deserve the awful crucifixion, death by crucifixion. He didn't deserve any of it. But he did it out of sheer obedience, out of sheer obedience to his father. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Christ died for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins, not because it was fair, not because he deserved it, not because we deserved it, but he did it out of obedience to his father. So what I came to realize is that forgiving these two men in my life was not something that God was asking me to do because they deserved it, but it was something he was asking me to do simply out of obedience to him. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so I had a choice to make. I could hold on to the anger and the unforgiveness for the rest of my life, or I could obey, forgive, and just as Jesus commanded the woman in John, let go and leave your life of sin. And it took time. It took years, years of healing. Healing that, to this day, is still happening day by day by day. Healing, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. And I think sometimes we want this quick fix because we live in a day of instant answers and instant gratification. We live in this world where um, my students asked me the other day something about some odd off-topic question. They were trying to get me. They didn't want to solve systems of linear equations, so they were trying to get me off-topic. So they asked me some weird question, and I was like, I don't know. And they were like, Google it. So, of course, you know, we Google and find out what it is. And then we move on. But you have a question. You can Google it. You can get an instant answer. We are impatient. We want things fixed now. I say, Jesus, heal me, and I want, I want it now. And God says, you know what? It's going to take time, and it's okay. Give it time. Give yourself time to heal. It took lots of time in prayer. It took lots of time of just reading, reading books, listening to different podcasts and sermons. It took a lot of time for truth and encouragement to be poured into me by, by friends and, and by my counselors. And the greatest way that God's brought me healing is through this book right here. You know, when I was 
young, um, through the time that I couldn't, well, I could have, but it, that I didn't tell anyone. Um, I talked to God about it all the time, all the time. And as much as I would not wish my story on anyone, um, it's my story. And it's made me who I am today. It has secured my, my relationship to God that I learned how to talk to him at a really young age. And at a really young age, I learned to find my comfort and my peace in here. And so, it's scriptures. I just want to share some of those scriptures that um, have just spoke abundant amounts of truth and peace into my life. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Philippians 3, 13 through 14 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These promises and truths that I found in Scripture were what led me to the end result of just letting go of my anger and letting go of the unforgiveness, letting go and trusting that God would fill the void when I let go, letting go and trusting that the Lord would never leave me, letting go and trusting that my strength would come from him and not my anger, letting go and trusting, letting go and keeping my eyes on the prize of heaven and not the pain of my past letting go of the anger, and forgiving. And so tonight I want to say, take some time and just ask each one of you, what do you need to let go of? There are so many things that we could all let go of. Maybe it's fear, addiction, hatred, anxiety, negativity, an argumentative spirit. spirit. Maybe it's arrogance. Loneliness, unforgiveness, pride, stress, gossip, anger, a poor attitude, worry. Maybe it's jealousy. Or maybe it's a lie that Satan is telling you you're not good enough, 
You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. No one loves you. No one cares about you. I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I will never heal. I'll never change. I can't be forgiven. Life, it's not worth living. They are lies. They are lies. And Satan is the master deceiver, and he wants nothing more than for you to believe those lies. Don't do it. Do not believe those lies. Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. I've written in the back of my Bible, and I know a lot of you have probably seen this. But I have two columns written, and it says God's voice, and it says Satan's voice. And still to this day, at 44 years age, I go to this page a lot. And I ask myself, who are you listening to? Don't believe those lies, Patty. Are you listening to God's voice? Or are you listening to Satan's voice? Take every thought captive. Let go. Let go of the lies. We have the power to do it because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside each one of us. And so I ask you again tonight, what do you need to let go of? When you came in, before I came up here, everyone was handing, handed a sticky note. And did you guys light the fire? On that sticky note, um, what I'd like you to do is if the Holy Spirit has stirred something in your heart that you want to let go of tonight, I encourage you to write it down. Sometimes just by acknowledging, you gotta light the thing first. Here, I'll get it. Sometimes just by acknowledging that there's something you need to let go of, it's the first step. And so I just want you to take the time. I've invited the band to come back up here tonight and just to play again. What I found in my lifetime is that music, for me, maybe, oh, it started, it's good. Music is so healing. It is, it is healing for my soul. Whenever I'm singing praises to my Savior, whether I am at home getting ready in the morning or on, my, on the elliptical or it doesn't matter where I am, up here on stage, out there singing, when I'm singing praises, it refocuses my mind. It focuses me on truth. For me, it's the closest place. It's the closest thing that I think it is to heaven. For me, that's what heaven's going to be like. I'm just going to get to stand and sing praises to my Savior for my eternity. And so it's the closest I can get to heaven. So while they're playing, um, after you've 
written something down on your sticky note that you want to let go of, if you want to physically get rid of it, if you want to physically let go of that sin, I encourage you to let go of it. Come up here, put it in the fire, let go of it, and give it over to the one who scripture tells us creates beauty out of ashes.